0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, and we're coming to you from the RVN Television Studios live. And today we're going to be talking about Reaching Your Peak Performance with uh, Brian Gillette, who's the founder of Summiting Group, and also the author of Epic Performance, Lessons from 100 Executives and Endurance Athletes on Reaching Your Peak. Brian, welcome to Behind the Numbers.
1: Dave, it's great to be here. Good good. looking forward to talking with you. It's
0: a long title for that book. I'm glad I got that out. <laughs> Uh, we'll just we'll just abbreviate it the rest of the way. But Brian, I want to kick things, things off with you, because your background's interesting. You're, you're a former Silicon Valley executive. Uh, you're also an amateur athlete, and you've connected the dots between leadership and athletic performance. So I, I first want to start out with maybe share with the audience a little bit about your background, and then we'll jump into what inspired you to write this book.
1: Well, yeah, that, thanks, uh, Dave. So my background, again, as you said, I was an executive uh, in the Silicon Valley, a former human resources executive, so ran a number of HR functions, um, did a lot around leadership development, and then about 10, 11 years ago, started up my own consulting practice. I just had that opportunity, wanted to take advantage of it. But as you also mentioned, I'm a former or I'm, I'm an endurance athlete. And so I've done a lot around cycling. I've done a lot around running and cycled across the United States. I cycled 300 miles in one day and then got into running a little bit later in life and ran 205 miles around Lake Tahoe, which is one of the kind of the premier lakes in the uh, western part of the United States.
0: Yeah. So what inspired you to write this book and, and what will, um, readers learn from it, Brian?
1: Yeah, so it' Epic Performance, and, and I realize it's a long title so we can just call it Epic Performance. It's all about how do you push beyond your perceived capabilities? How do you go a little bit further than you think you can? And, and there's, there's some research that's done about that. But what inspired me is, you know, th- there were two conversations I had with folks, is when I would go out and I would do long-distance cycling or, or long-distance running, I'd come back and people would often say, "I could never do that. And, and, and that kind of pulled at me. And then in another conversation I had, so my wife and I took our kids out of school for a year about six years ago, and we traveled around the world. And we spent you know four and a half months in Africa. We spent about the same amount of time in South America. And it was this phenomenal experience. And, and prior to us leaving, friends held a going away party. And a couple of people came up to me and said something I would heard with endurance events is they said, you know, I could never do what you're doing. And again, that pulled kind of at my heart because they probably could. Um, I'm no super athlete, um, but I have some things and some skills and some capabilities that allow me to do these things. And so, what I wanted to do is, how do you turn that "I can't" or "I could never do that" into "I did"? And and so, the book Epic Performance is all about how how you can do that. Um, You know, what are some of the capabilities? What are the skills you can do when you uh, um, when you want to dream big? And. And I knew what I did on the endurance side. I knew what I've done on the executive side, but I wanted to learn from a bunch of other people. And so that's why I went out and interviewed 100 executives and other ultra distance athletes to find out what do they do? You know, how did they how do they dream really big and take it across the finish line?
0: Yeah, and we joke about the length of the title. I apologize for that. But, no, no, but, but it's OK. It, I, I, I
1: hear that I hear that often. <laughs> but it's
0: important because you did do that, that process of interviewing 100 execs and, and athletes. And I want to dive into that. But before we do, I want you to point out to the audience, when, when we talk about EPIC performance, EPIC is also an acronym. I'm going to allow you to explain that.
1: Yeah. So what epic performance stands for it's it's really five of the kind of the, the core behaviors and the e in epic stands for how do you envision the big things in life? You know, what are those things in your life and your career, you know, at work that you want to accomplish? Um, the p is how do you put a plan in place? You know, what what are you going to do in order to get to that those those big things that you envision? I is how do you iterate to the plan? You, know, you don't start off being the CEO of a company. You don't start off you know, riding your bike across the United States. You start off smaller and, and that smaller allows you to build confidence to go bigger and then continue to go bigger. The C is how do you collaborate with others? You know, fundamentally everything out there has been done before or something similar. And so how do you learn from those people who've been successful before you, but also who may have failed? And, and you learn from that. So how do you collaborate with others? And then lastly is how do you perform? You got to go out and you got to do it. And, and I often look is the, the E, the first part, and the performance, the last part. You got to do the E first you got to envision the big things first. And then the performance, you got to go out and just do it and kind of get through the hard stuff. The others can be done uh, done simultaneously. So that's what epic performance is.
0: Yeah, and I wanted to set the stage on that. I think that's important. So now right. let, let's jump into um, the, the interview. So you, you interviewed 100 CEOs and endurance athletes. So the first question I've got to ask you, Brian, is are there any recurring themes that you've seen from this research?
1: There, there were a lot of things that were similar. Um, one of the things that I consistently found with these hundred people, and even people that I continue to talk to now, is very focused on where they wanted to go. They, they knew what the future looked like, kind of that envision part, and they were focused on getting there. And so they knew what to say yes to, but they also knew what to say no to. So you know, there are some people, it's like, okay, we can do all of this stuff. And it's like, instead of trying to do 20 things, they really got focused on what are the two, three, four things that we have to do really well. Uh, they were also very confident. And and so, and I asked, I asked many of them, I said, where does that confidence comes from? And they would often respond with something similar to this is confidence comes from, Smaller successes, and that allows me to think bigger. Kind of that that iterate part, um, and then the optimism that I would continue to hear. So many of them, you know, were very optimistic. You know, we often think about, okay, are you optimistic? Are you pessimistic? And, and there's been some interesting research on optimism. Martin Seligman, who does a lot of the the research around optimism, he's looked at people, you know, people that have gone into the hospital. And optimists tend to come out more successfully, or, t- or tend not to have to go back to uh, for for additional hospitalizations more so than the pessimists. And, and then there's been some other studies where they look at insurance agents. So MetLife did a study, and they compared people who had you know when as they interviewed people, they looked at what their motivation level and their aptitude level was. And then later on, they started to look at optimism and people who were optimistic versus pessimistic tended to sell more than the, the pessimist. So, you know, what I continue to found is people were very focused, very focused on what the future looked like, very confident and then very optimistic
0: yeah, it's interesting when you talk about optimism and how that leads to success. I mean, without getting into spiritual or metaphysical, uh, there's a lot of good research out there for folks who are curious to know about how mindset can influence performance. And you, you get what you think about. So we all understand what Misery Loves Company uh, looks like. The opposite is true as well with optimism. So thanks for pointing that out. Uh, I wanted to know if, if there was anything in particular that surprised you. Did anything jump off the page and like, wow, holy cow, didn't expect that from this, this cohort?
1: Well, the, the biggest thing that surprised me is I was, I was wondering, you know, when, when I started think, doing some of the research, I thought, how many people am I going to ha- have to ask in order to get to 100 interviews? And I figured, all right, I may have to ask 200 people. I may have to ask 300 people in order for 100 people to say to say yes. Uh, and so this this was my my biggest surprise is I only had to ask 102 people. Wow! Because so many people were were willing to say yes, and, and what that that just reinforced in my head. And I teach a graduate leadership course at the the university, and I tell my students this all the time is at least go out and ask and um, because often and i found this early on in my career often i would uh, i would be hesitant to ask somebody for help or hesitant for somebody to ask advice or something along those lines because i felt i was burdening them and what i realized you know especially doing these interviews is it is a big boost to ask somebody for guidance or help and chances are they are going to say yes. I wasn't asking them to interview for a job. you know. I wasn't asking them to sell something or, or trying to sell something to them, asking them to buy something. I was asking them for their advice, their guidance, their, the, and their knowledge. And most people are willing to share that because it is a, a boost to the ego. So at that early on is what surprised me the most is is how willing people were to talk Um, And and share their time and I you know, I initially asked for an hour and and many people I followed back up uh, later on
0: Yeah, that's good stuff. Most people as you say are are absolutely willing to uh, to lend advice And as I've always told my kids if you don't ask the question the answer is always no So why not ask Brian for folks who are watching? For folks who are watching and listening Brian and they want to learn more about you or how they can connect with you What's the best way to get in touch with you?
1: So the best way to connect up with me is you can go to my website, which is epicperformances.com. So it's E-P-I-C, performances with an S, dot com. You can connect up with me on LinkedIn, um, Brian Gillette, and, and people often spell it
0: with an I, but it's B-R-Y-A-N, and Gillette, just like the razor, razor blade. Good stuff. Brian, this is a good spot for us to take a quick commercial break. So you sit tight. You watching and listening at home, don't go anywhere. We're going to pay a few bills, and we'll be right back on Behind the Night. Aloha! Joe Silva here with Kukua Technologies. I'm excited to see you on Tuesdays on Morning Coffee for our tech tips. Let's face it,
1: lawyers get a bad rap. I'm Erin Bruschi, host of Legal Breakdown where we dissect legal topics for the everyday viewer. With a mix of interesting guests to talk about current events and hot legal topics, let's work together to make the law accessible and relevant to everyone. Catch us every week on RVN
0: Television. And welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, and we are talking about epic performance with Brian Gillette, who is the author of the book of the same name. Brian, welcome back to round two here. Time goes very quickly, so I'm not going to waste any of it. I'm going to jump right in. Uh, one of the things that you talk about is that it's good to be nervous. Why is that?
1: You know, why I think that's good is it shows that you're pushing yourself. You know, part of what we have to do in order to think big, in order to kind of push ourselves is understand when are we pushing ourselves far enough? You know, when might we not be pushing ourselves <laughs> far enough? And and that nervous factor, what I call the nervous quotient, it is an, it's one indication that shows that you are pushing yourself far enough or, or pushing yourself a little bit further outside your comfort zone. I, uh, I often do a lot of work with executives where I'm facilitating their executive retreat, and I may have the whole leadership team in, uh, in a room. And, and we're trying to think about, okay, where do you want to go over the next year, two years, three years, or you know, for some of the, the, the better companies, five or ten years? And you know, we'll, we'll, we'll write down ideas. We'll put them up on the flip chart or on, on the whiteboard. And then at some point, I will step back. I will have everybody look at what we've put up there. And I will ask them, I said, does this list of where you want to go make you nervous? And if the answer is no, often what I'll do is I'll come back and I say, we're not thinking big enough then. Because it's it should make you a little bit nervous. And that's what shows that you're doing the right thing. You know, I, I think about when, when we all learn to swim or for most of us that we learn to swim is we don't just jump into the deep end of the pool. We jump, we walk into the shallow end of the pool and we get comfortable and then we start to move our way down into, into the deep end of the pool and, and, and we go in there and sometimes we get nervous and that I think is a good feeling because we start getting comfortable being uncomfortable and and that's a lot of what I'm trying to get people to do is how do you, how do you start getting comfortable being uncomfortable And, and that nervousness is really what shows you that you are going in the right direction so whenever i've done i'll tell you when i stood at the start line of the tahoe 200 the 200 mile run i will tell you i was nervous um and it 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 made me it made me worry at, at times um but it was i knew it was that good nervousness uh, and that's that's what gets you through
0: yeah, so when you say good nervousness, let me let me ask you this, because I've, I've seen a lot of interviews with athletes, and there's been research on this, where um, they're interviewed um, after a big successful event, and the first question is, yeah. so were you nervous? And they say, no, I was excited. And there's a very, apparently, a very similar feeling in the body and in the, in the, the chemistry that you're experiencing uh, between nervous and excitement. And if you reframe the nervous component to excitement, that's maybe when you shift from pessimism to optimism can you comment on that
1: yeah the physiologically nervousness and fear uh, uh, I'm sorry fear and excitement are the same physiologically to your body so you think about if you're riding a roller coaster and you get into the roller coaster and you start going up that hill and you hear in the click 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 you get those butterflies in your stomach and, and maybe your hands start to get a little bit uh, sweaty um, and, and what happens is your heart starts to move a little bit quicker. So that's the fear. And then you go down the hill and, and then it starts to get exciting and you're moving mm-hmm. back and forth. So, so physiologically, fear and nervousness are the same. It's really how your body reacts to it. Um, or how your mind reacts to it so if you if you tell yourself you're nervous if you tell yourself you're afraid then you will see it as a negative event if you tell yourself this is exciting and i'm really enjoying this which which is a hard sometimes hard to do then you see it more as a positive effect um, but we often think oh fear and nervousness uh, you know are, are different on the mind no it's really on the body they fear and nervousness are the same you have to you have to turn it around in your
0: head. Yeah. So then, Brian, besides fear or, or being nervous about things, what else did you learn that, that keeps people from taking that, as you call it, the big leap?
1: You know, they what holds people back is a lot of excuses. Hmm. You know, we often we come up with all sorts of excuses is I'm too old you know i'm uh, i i don't have enough time i don't have enough money i've never done it before and and those excuses stop us from from moving forward and and you think about like i've never done it before everything in our life at some point we have never done before um, and so i i talk about this with you know with large groups is you know how do we get rid of those excuses you think about time you know we all have 160 hours in the week you do I do you're able to run a TV show you're able to you know be successful in business and so how do we use that 168 hours and and when I talked to the hundred people and we we talked a little bit about this is they know how to use that 168 hours in the week they know what to say yes to they know what to say no to it's all about priorities um or or I'm too old you know somebody will say I'm too old to run a marathon the oldest person to run a marathon was 100 years old. And, 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 and I'm and I just I, I, I'm flabbergasted and I hope I can do it at his age. He ran his first one when he was 89 years old. Huh. So how, how do we look at these excuses and how do we try to get around those excuses? Um, because somebody else has. And, and how do you do that? You know, the big one is I don't want to. And I find some legitimacy there. Is Okay, if you don't want to go off and look at something else that is more important to you So how do you get around those excuses? Um, how do you try to manage your fear and move around that fear as well? Um, you know fear and doubt kill more dreams than failure ever has was uh, what a good friend of mine used to say
0: Yeah Well said so I'm gonna put you on the spot a little bit here and ask you to provide some tips and advice for the audience If you don't mind specifically, how do you recommend that they push through those fears in that moment or even when they're lying awake at night thinking about something and ruminating on it.
1: Yeah. Well, one of the first things is, you know, start doing something smaller. You know, that's the iterate part. And, mm. and so you don't go out and run a marathon for the first time, go out and run three miles and get comfortable there. And once you've got that under your belt, go out and run four miles. You know, that, I mean, that is, that's one of the biggest things. So just break things down into smaller chunks and those smaller chunks build the confidence in order for you to kind of move forward. You know, I go back to my uh, swimming analogy. We don't jump into the deep end of the pool. We jump into, into the small, uh, into the shallow end of the pool. Um, and then realize that somebody, you know, somebody else has done this before go talk to them and ask them how they did it. What got them to be successful is, is a big thing. We often, you know, we often look at kind of fear and risk and, and fear is that mental component. Risk is real and part of it is really being able to understand the risk involved and, and then assess whether you should be fearful. If you think about travel, a lot of people are afraid to fly. And flying is one of the safest forms of transportation. But it, we get in our head that, you know, because we saw that that one accident that occurred over the last five years, and that is, is sealed in our head. But, you know, when I, when I talk to people, it's like really assess what the risk is there. Because air travel is far safer than car travel. So chances are you're at greater risk drive into the airport, then you are flying to your destination. So really kind of look at what's the real risk, and then how can I break down some of the fear in order to feel comfortable?
0: Yeah, and some of those risks are unknown, and that certainly contributes to the fear. Brian, when, uh, if, if folks are interested in connecting with you, working with you, or grabbing the book, how can they connect with you, and where can they get the book?
1: Yeah, so they can get the book on Amazon. Just go to Amazon, type in Epic Performance in my name, and it, it'll it pop up. Um, again, you can go to check me out on LinkedIn, connect up with me. I always love when people connect up and, and share a one of their big dreams. Um, or go to my website, brian at epicperformances.com. Um, send me a note, and we can uh, love to chat.
0: Sounds good. Brian, we're down to the short strokes here. We've got about three and a half minutes to go. I want to give you one more opportunity to share some thoughts with the audience. And I'm curious to know, in the course of the interviewing of these 100 executives and endurance athletes, did the the topic of regret come up? Are there any regrets that you saw?
1: Yeah, that was one of the big drivers that allowed people to kind of push further beyond when, than where they thought they might, and and when people were trying to decide, do they take on a big task? Do they start that business? Do they leave the comfort of their own job and start their own consulting practice? Do do they write a book? Um, uh, you know, do they go out and, and, and whatever it is? And, and one of the things that helped answer that question was, many of them said, I didn't want to regret not doing this in the future. And, and there was a, a book that was written, you know, years ago by the name of, uh, the author was Bronnie Rare, uh, UK a nurse. And, and she talked about regrets. And what she did is she worked with people in the final stages of their life. So she would go in, and, and these people were kind of, they were, they were in the last couple of months, year of their life, and she would ask them questions. And one of the things that she found was that people often regretted the things they didn't do versus the things they did do. And so that's that, again, it's that good indication of how do you decide what you, what are the things you ought to consider doing in, in, in life And it's a question I often ask myself: Is when I'm 80, will I regret not doing this? And I'll tell you, as I was writing the book, um, and there were times where it's like, oh man, I've got to keep going, and and I kept, and there was a point where it's like I thought about stopping, and I thought, when I'm 80, will I regret not moving forward? And it's like, yeah, I will. I got to keep moving.
0: Yeah, good stuff. I think Wayne Gretzky said that you miss every shot that you don't take. Um, Right. Yeah. Brian, unfortunately, we are out of time, but I want to thank you so much for joining us today here on Behind the Numbers.
1: Thanks, Dave. Pleasure talking to you.
0: I hope you had fun. And thank you at home for watching and listening. We can't do this show without you. Please hit the subscribe button so that you stay in touch with all that we're up to. We usually drop an episode here every week. And again, my name is Dave Bookbinder. I'm the author of the New ROI series, where ROI is return on individuals. You can find me at newroi.com. I'd love to hear from you. And thanks to my production crew for uh, all their good work in making this show happen too. Uh, Shout out to all you guys in the back. Anyway, that's all we have for you today, folks. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time on Behind the Numbers. Take care.